I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we lock in on the episode of NXT that originally aired on December 4th, 2013. On this episode, Canadians! Everybody on this episode is Canadian, actually. I'm not sure if you knew that, Bob. But, it's the uh, law now. They just are. Yeah. Yeah. Once you once you hit a certain point, like a certain percentage of Canadians, it like tips over and now everyone is. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's, that's how Canada works, right? <laughs> that's what citizenship is. If you get enough people of a certain nationality in a room, everybody is transformed. Welcome to episode 29 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Sami Zayn and Adrian Neville tore the fucking house down. Yeah. And we got to talk about it with fanfic author Robin Trigg, which was super fun. It was so good. But we got to get back to business, Bob. We've had a lot of guests on recently. I know it's been fun. It's true. But there's a lot going on in NXT right now, and there's a lot of stories happening at the same time, many of them involving Canadians. <laughs> We're going to hear all about those in Bob's breakdown before moving into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Then, for the first time since episode 7, it will be time once again for the wrestling move of the week. Ooh! And we'll finish up, as we always do, with the cheap pop quiz. But before any of that, we got to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob has completed her third round of 10 points. Yeah. Meaning that another romance thing is in my immediate future. So we're starting fresh once again. Let's see how Bob gets round four started. Question number one. Well, Bob, you've met Natalia, and on the next episode, you'll get to see her wrestle, and you'll also get to meet her real-life husband, Tyson Kidd. Kidd was another underused main roster wrestler who got sent down to NXT, and he was actually a regular part of the show prior to our coverage, as he has been out with an injury. What's he doing now that he's back? Is it A, squashing a jobber, as one does? B, hanging out ringside to cheer on Natalia during her match against Paige? C, teaming up with El Local to form a tag team called Los Localis, because man, does NXT ever need more tag teams. D, paying off a story that was set up back in February when he came out on crutches to announce that he was injured and Leo Kruger mocked him and knocked him down. Or E, challenging the winner of the NXT Championship match between Adrian Neville and Bo Dallas. Bob, you selected C, teaming up with El Local to form Los Locales. Yep, I'm always going to pick El Local forever. The correct answer is D, paying off a story that was set up back in February involving Leo Kruger. And uh, Bob, I'll go ahead and tell you right now that the Los Locales thing is never actually going to happen on NXT. It did happen. Okay. Uh, but we're never actually going to see it. So I'm going to retire this, uh, oh, this particular right. running gag. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll have to go watch some on my own. I told myself that I would do it when you finally picked one of them. So <laughs> there we go. Question number two. Next episode also includes the possibility of one of NXT's stables or factions gaining a member. What form does this take? Was it A, Leo Kruger approaches Cesaro about joining the real Americans because he would also like to be a non-American member of Team America first? Mm. Was it B, Sylvester Laforte approaches Aiden English and invites him to join the Legionnaires because they need his music to inspire them? C, Bailey approaches the beautiful, fierce females and haltingly suggests that she'd like to join them in an extremely unconvincing attempt at deception. D, while on commentary with Jason Albert, a.k.a. Tensai, a.k.a. Sweet Tea, Tyler Breeze mentions that he would be a great fit for tons of funk as he could show them some modeling poses. Or E, all of the above. Bob, you couldn't resist the all of the above. No, I can't. You knew you shouldn't do it. You couldn't resist it. You picked it anyway. Unfortunately, <laughs> it was incorrect. Leo Kruger approaches Cesaro about joining the Real Americans, and we'll talk about that very shortly. Yeah. And question number three. We have another championship match coming up, and once again, it's time for Bob to pick the winner. So, Bob, 
Who wins the NXT Championship match between Adrian Neville and Bo Dallas? Is it A, Bo once again engages in turnbuckle shenanigans, the ref once again misses it, and Bo retains the title? B, Bo once again engages in turnbuckle shenanigans, but the ref sees it this time and disqualifies him, giving Neville the victory, but keeping the title on Bo. C, after a big move on the outside, Neville manages to get back in the ring before the ref's 10 count, but Dallas does not, giving Neville the count out victory, but keeping the title on Bo. D, Neville wins clean, and we have a new champion, or E, Neville wins clean and we have a new champion, but immediately after the match, JBL announces that Neville has to defend the title right then and there against a returning Corey Graves, who takes advantage of Neville's weakened post-match condition to win the championship. Bob, you selected the answer uh, B. Bo gets disqualified, uh, so Neville wins the match, but Bo keeps the title. You were so close. Why so close? You were so close. It was C, that happens, but because of a countout, not because of a disqualification. So Because uh, I was close, can I get some karma points? Yeah, I think so. I okay. think karma points can be a thing. I, I hereby bestow upon you 217 karma points. Oh, damn. I'm going to get yeah. so much stuff for advancement. <laughs> All right. So, Bob, uh, a strikeout on this first uh, quiz in the fourth round. But uh, that doesn't matter. You struck out before, and you yeah. still always get it. So uh, we'll come back and uh, and do I, some more of those at, at the I end of the episode. I always get back on the Mason Ryan. You... <laughs> With that, I believe it is time for Bob's Breakdown. Cold open. It's Antonio mm. Cesaro backstage and Miles, his white button down is unbuttoned to almost romance novel cover levels. It's true. Is he going to go ride a horse on the beach after this? Because God, I hope so. So Cesaro gets on camera to tell William Regal to stay out of his business. And Cesaro tries to put on a British accent with limited success, but <laughs> complete enjoyment on my part. Oh, it was delightful. I don't think I could have ever imagined, like somebody said, imagine somebody Swiss doing a British accent, especially a Blackpool accent. Uh, what a, no, it's not British at all, but it's fucking great. <laughs> and then there's a tap on the shoulder from out of shot. It's Mr. Kruger. They call each other Mr. Cesaro and Mr. Kruger like they're two fucking low tier Bond villains. I mean, they basically are in this scene. They are. And it's so great. So Mr. Kruger, Mr. Cesaro. Like, Although I feel like oh. I feel like if Zane is Bond, then Cesaro is like a high tier Bond villain. Like he's mm. he's the guy like the head of the secret society. And Kruger is like the lower tier guy. I'm like, hey, man, how do I get into the society? You know what I mean? That's true, because yeah. Kruger wants to be a real American. American. Indeed. That is, that's how you have to say it whenever you're talking about Zeb Coulter and the whiny snake it's flag. very important. The danger noodle flag. Mr. Kruger has a match with Mr. Sami Zayn in the future, not this time. So Mr. Cesaro will talk to Zeb Coulter if Mr. Kruger does whisper, 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 and we'll find out about that later. It's a really convoluted, cunning plan, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's fine. That's yeah. what I'll say. It's fine. Yeah. In terms of the timeline here, this scene that opens this episode actually takes place at the same time as the previous episode. I don't know if you caught that. No, I so didn't. There's a graphic on screen while all this is happening that says last week. Oh, all right. And there's a thing that happens later backstage that also says last week. Jesus Christ. So, from where we are now, this is like watching The Witcher all over again. From where we are now, the Zane Kruger match is next week, but this Zane Cesaro interaction happened last week, and other stuff is going to happen this week. My brain is melting. <laughs> Imagine you're in a time loop. No. <laughs> match one. Natalia is wrestling Paige for the NXT Women's Championship, apropos of nothing. Well, apropos of something, but not a lot. I'm glad you said that first, because there's something I want to get out of the way before we go into this match. Oh, yes. Um, so normally, when there's a championship match on the next episode, I ask you who's going to win the match in the cheap pop quiz, which is why we had the question about Neville and Dallas. 
You might be wondering why we didn't have a question about Natalia and Paige for this episode, and the answer is, I forgot this was a championship match. Uh, understandable. I would have immediately guessed Paige retains because there was absolutely no buildup, and it seems like was such a waste if they were like, yeah, the title changes hands on this very, you know, flimsy pretense. I definitely miss women's wrestling in NXT. I also miss, you know, some level of narrative causality, so... You will get both those things back in spades. Yeah! So Natalia is wearing a sparkly nude bra top with a black lace boob coverage thing and white cowboy <laughs> boots with a pink heart on them. She looks like a catfishing trap on FarmersOnly.com. <laughs> so Paige and Natalia sort of shake hands, but Paige throws Natalia's hand back like, we're not friends anymore. Don't act like we are. So flashbacks to middle school for literally all of us. And then Paige and Natalia lock up and do some technical tradesies with arm twists and then rolling around, turning to get out of it. But Paige responds with a headbutt, getting Natalia down. And she lays down across Natalia, so her head is resting on Natalia's belly, and her leather-clad butt is on Natalia's face. And it's really cool. And then Natalia just bridges <laughs> out of it, like, no, I don't want to be that close to your butt. But I don't know. There's sparks there. We've talked about it. This is, I think, probably our first real, like, technical wrestling clinic that we've had on our coverage. What makes it a technical wrestling clinic versus anything else? Just because it's very mat wrestling? Yeah, and like the first five or so minutes of the match is just Paige and Natalia exchanging holds. Mm. And like, you know, they're both baby faces and the beef between them is kind of contrived. So there's not really a, a story in the match. The story in the match is kind of a very uh, Zane Neville thing from last episode about just wanting to kind of one up each other. Mm. But whereas Zane and Neville are a little bit more high fly -y. Paige and Natalia are very mat-based, and they're trading submissions, and they're trading uh, roll-ups and pinfall attempts, and really clean, crisp, like, wrestling moves, like, moves that look like they might belong back in a more Greco-Roman era, where the goal is just to pin the guy, you know mm. what I mean? Part of that, I think, is gonna have to do with Natalia's uh, background, and okay. the fact that who she is as a wrestler plays into who Paige is as a wrestler. And so, Bob, if you don't mind, yeah. I'm going to give you another trading card. Yay! And this trading card is for Natalia and Tyson Kidd. Okay. So, Bob, one of the things you'll notice as we get deeper into wrestling as a historical artifact is that certain names keep popping up. I'm sure you probably noticed it already. Mm -hmm. There are dynasties in wrestling whose legacies live on to this day, especially when your family is associated in any way with Vince McMahon. One such family is the Hart family, and Tyson Kidd and Natalia are best known for being part of it, in kind of a roundabout way. So in 1948, legendary wrestling promoter Stu Hart founded Stampede Wrestling, which was based out of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Oh my god, and, I love it. I love it already. And in 1951, needing a place to train his wrestlers, Hart acquired a former army hospital mansion and converted the basement into the legendary Hart Dungeon. Jesus. A training facility run by Stu himself that quickly earned a reputation for brutality. Yeah. It's been described by some who went through it as a torture chamber, and those who graduated from the dungeon were considered to already have accomplished something in the industry because they survived Stu Hart and his unacceptably harsh methods of training. Eek. Natalia is the only female graduate of the dungeon. Wow. And Tyson Kidd was the last. They both joined WWE Developmental in the mid-aughts, coming to prominence in 2009 when they joined up with Natalia's cousin, David Hart Smith, to form the Hart Dynasty faction. Being Hearts basically were kind of their thing. Uh, Stu Hart, who founded the dungeon, is the father of Brett Hitman Hart, okay. one of the most famous wrestlers in history. Yeah, uh, Lucas likes him, doesn't he? Yeah, a lot of people do, uh, as well as his brother Owen. Now, their sister Ellie 
married Brett's longtime tag team partner, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, and had three daughters, one of whom was Natalia. One of Brett and Owen's other sisters, Diana, married another one of their wrestling buddies, Davy Boy Smith, aka the British Bulldog, and gave birth to David Hart Smith. Tyson Kidd is not blood related to the Hearts, but he gets his heart cred through his marriage to Natalia. Okay. He also, it should be noted, uh, sported a unique look at the time. Uh, his head was completely shaved, apart from a single tuft of hair sticking up from the center of his forehead. It was, it was a thing. Oh no. Kid and Smith would have one reign as tag team champions before being broken up as a team in 2010. Natalia was split off from them as well and would go on to win the WWE Divas Championship. But this was smack dab in the middle of one of the worst times to be a woman wrestling in WWE. Uh, it didn't help that despite her undeniable wrestling ability, Natalia has never been very good at acting. And her character has kind of just always been part of the Hart family. Ah. Kid languished in the undercard for a couple of years, despite his own significant wrestling ability, eventually becoming a part of NXT Redemption and later NXT proper. Despite finally growing out his hair, he suffered a meniscus tear in January of 2013 and had been out of action until this exact episode. That's Natalia and Tyson Kidd. In 2013, the current representatives of the legendary Hart family in WWE. All right. So the pace picks up a little and Natalia whips herself at Paige like, I will fix our friendship or die trying. And then Paige goes to the mat to avoid this burst of love. And Natalia does a flip of friendship over her. Is it enough? <laughs> well, when we're back from commercial, Paige goes bananas because apparently during commercial, Natalia used a handshake to pull a move on Paige. And unless you're going to do that to pull her in for a kiss, you are very bad at this whole mending fences thing, Natalia. <laughs> <laughs> Paige is great at being pissed off, though, because she kicks Natalia in the head and knees her in the chest like she's doing the most hardcore goth metal step aerobics class ever. They fling themselves at each other in a double cross body and then lie on the mat like, have we gone too far? Can our relationship be repaired? This is quite the episode for cross bodies that look like they really hurt. Yeah, there's a fair few of those. Well, can it be repaired? Not if Natalia keeps suplexing and clotheslining Paige. No, probably not. <laughs> and Natalia goes for her submission, bending Paige into a pretzel. But Paige flips under Natalia, so she falls back, hitting her head on the turnbuckle. And Paige does the Paige Turner and pins Natalia to win the match. And then they hug, yeah. holding each other in a soft, sapphic embrace. <laughs> and Natalia is so happy and proud in my heart. I don't know if this fixed their friendship, but, you know, who am I to argue with this hug? And, Miles, I wanted to ask, I know we don't really have an answer, but do you have a read on what the point of this match was? I mean, I'm glad it happened, but I wasn't sure, like, what story are they trying to tell? Yeah, spoiler alert, this is the end of the feud, quote unquote, yeah. uh, that they were having, the, the two-episode feud. My guess is that they kind of had to scramble because Emma was injured. Ah. Um, but I don't know for sure. That's just that's just my guess. I actually think it turned out to be a really nice like piece of Paige's championship reign because, you know, Natalia is a, a main roster, you know, former Divas champion. She was kind of a big deal in the women's division at the time. And this was like a really good, really hard hitting back and forth championship defense uh, against an established talent that I think made Paige look really good. Okay. Uh, so insofar as there was a point to it beyond, oh shit, Emma's injured. And that's just speculation on my part. Natalia, unlike some of the main roster people, uh, came here to make Paige look like a really good champion. And I think she accomplished that. Yeah, agreed. So backstage. Tyler Breeze tries to schmooze Rusev. Obviously not a great idea. And then he also wants to just talk some body shaming bullshit about Cassius Ono because he's a dick. He does. And he is. Lana is there. and I am imagining it as the most awkward overture to a threesome ever. <laughs> Breeze thanks Rusev for taking out Ono and tries to sort of make friendly. What are you two doing later? And Lana is like, no, you can't be our third. Get gone. So, Breeze, I don't know, maybe the Ascension are open to it. Maybe go try that, you know, knock on that door. Speaking of awkward threesomes, backstage, still, 
Mojo Raleigh assures the interviewer that he stays hyped, so that's nice. And then <laughs> enter Sylvester LaFord and Scott Dawson. So Scott Dawson is back. That's good. And LaFord tries to get Mojo Raleigh to come join the tag team, but Raleigh calls out the exploitative nature of their relationship and consequently, right. in many ways, capitalism as a whole. <laughs> I know. But Dawson defends his oppressor and offers a match to which Mojo Raleigh just says, I stay hyped. And everybody goes, what does that mean? And you know what? Good fucking question. What does that mean? But Miles, could Raleigh be the one to rescue Dawson from his financially abusive relationship with LaFour? And then they can build a life together of flossing and hyping. God, I hope so. Because, like, honestly, the more you talk about it, like, Scott Dawson really is the white working class. Yeah. Being constantly, like seduced by the wealthy elites with promises of, you know, fame and riches and being completely exploited the entire time. And now I like have so much sympathy for Scott Dawson. I know. I know. Shout out to Josh Vaskyhuff who pointed this out to us at one point in the fan faction. Yeah. Miles and I both went, oh God, it's so true. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And Dawson, you know, just keeps fucking voting Republican no matter how many times he gets screwed over. Yeah. Anyway, he also has a pen in his hat. Uh, yes. This time around. <laughs> yes. And I don't know what that's meant to signify for us, but there it is. New layers. Yeah. New layers every time we see him to Scott Dawson. I know. It's not just a man who loves to floss. Scott Dawson is also a man who likes to have a pen nearby and doesn't want to use a pocket. <laughs> Match two. Aiden English enters in tights that look like an opera house vomited. <laughs> Black, red, gold, curly cues, velvet, the whole deal. And English is going to wrestle a guy with a man bun. Does this man bun have a name? Who knows? I know. <laughs> okay. Though it's not actually said here or indeed on like the little chapters on this episode in WWE Network. It just said Aiden English wrestles a singles match. Yeah. But this guy's name in NXT is Mike Labosca. Okay. And he is better known as uh, Johnny Armani. That's a pretty fun name. I say better known not because I know anything about him, but because Johnny Armani is like the name of his cage match page. So okay. I'm assuming that uh, that that is what he is better known as other than the <laughs> two jobber squashes that he is in during his time in NXT. This being the first of them. You know what? Let's just take a moment to say one nice thing about him. I like the star on his butt. I also like the star on his butt. I think his hair looks very healthy. I like the color of the star on his butt in particular. It's a very nice, like, kind of teal, and I appreciate it. It is. So I don't think you'll be surprised to learn the English wins. So I guess he's being pushed sort of with all these matches lately. I'm not going to go over it because it was very uh, jobber squash. I mean, English struggled for about one second before squashing this guy. So Cesaro comes out and interrupts the end of English's exit uh, so he can apologize to Byron Saxton. And Cesaro tries to get Saxton to join him in putting a hand over the heart and to say, we the people. But Saxton phones it in so much that he may as well have been doing it via walkie-talkie. And Cesaro gets pissed. So Cesaro starts roughing the fuck out of him and demanding, where is Regal? Where is Regal? And like Saxton would know that, and he says, I don't know. So Cesaro slaps him in the face and leaves him to roll around on the ramp. And one, leave Byron Saxton alone. He didn't do anything <laughs> to you. Don't throw the fucking flag if you don't want people to touch it. Stop being a baby. Two, if you want Regal's attention, you could just ask him on a date. Jeez. I have so many thoughts about this. I'm just going to wait a few minutes to, to get into it in full. But uh, I really loved this bit for a lot of reasons. This episode is like... Cesaro mind games and crossbodies like that's basically <laughs> Cesaro wait Cesaro mind games crossbodies and Canadians that is this episode yes that's good so backstage again we go backstage a lot in this one yeah we do Sammy is bummed that he didn't win obviously and he's still coming for that title though he's not you know down and out but yeah, this is the other thing that happened last week. Sorry to interrupt oh, you, Oh, no worries. This is the other thing that happened last week. Is This is Sammy being interviewed immediately after his match with Neville. Okay, which, I think I did realize that because otherwise I was going, why is Sammy Zane so out of breath? Yeah, which indicates that the conversation between Kruger and Cesaro happened like sometime during that episode prior to the main event. Okay. 
you know what? No, WWE, you're not allowed to play with time frames like this. Do you think maybe they just like shot too much for the previous episode and like had to? I suspect like, they couldn't fit it in. That makes the most sense because normally they're not ones for going. Ooh, let's give our audience a lot of credit and see if we can sort of play with time frames. Yeah, I don't think they're being artistic so much as uh, <laughs> practical in doing this. So Kruger comes out of fucking nowhere and decks Zane and says, ta-ta, Sammy, ta-ta. So boo to this. Yeah, is that that was their plan. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, why did you whisper then? We could have all guessed this, but I guess it was, <laughs> you know, secret deckings. Match three, Tyson Kidd is here, and I don't know who he is, or at least I didn't until Miles explained. But, yeah, now you do. Yeah, I do now. It's pretty popular. He's here to fight Kruger, who kicked his crutches after an injury. And then Kid comes on strong, kicking Kruger about the head and shoulders, and he is pissed. Obviously, because uh, Kruger prolonged his having to stay away. So he's got some of that bouncy Zane energy, but he's a little bit more leg-based. So instead of a doggo, I'm going to say that he is a springy little mountain goat, which kind of works nicely with his name being Kid. Yeah, I like that. That's great. So Kid starts out on fire, and it looks like revenge is a dish best served with suplexes and shoulder checks. But Kruger (laughs) slows the match down with some blows to Kid's gut, and he throws Kid to the corner, and it looks like Kid has his boot up. He's going to get Kruger with that little mountain goat hoof, but Kruger grabs the leg and brings it down on his knee with Kid's leg straight like he's trying to snap a real crunchy breadstick in half, and it is nasty. I have like a knee injury. It's not horrible, but it was gross to see that. Oh, and he was doing it to Kid's surgically repaired knee, and everybody's very clear on saying, oh my god, his surgically repaired knee, as opposed to other kinds of repaired. (laughs) That was pretty sick. I yeah. I watched it and I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah, like, it's just unpleasant to see it because we've all felt that thing whenever our knee goes the wrong way, just a little tiny bit. And you go, oh, oh yeah. God, oh, God, my knee's going to fall apart and I'm going to die. And then like to see it happen on purpose, you're going, ah. Back from commercial, Kruger is twisting Kid's knee, but Kid struggles out with a headbutt. You know, typical mountain goat stuff. And Kruger changes it up. And in a truly insulting move, he starts to lock in the sharpshooter. That is the move of Tyson Kid's wrestle father or something. (laughs) I was kind of unclear on how moves work that are sort of belong to the family. So as you were saying, Kid is part of the Hart family. Miles, would you like to give a little primer on the tradition or the practice of using people's moves against them or the moves of their wrestle family? Sure. Uh, I would love to give a primer on the sharpshooter itself. And in fact, I will do that a little bit later in this episode. Uh, I will say that in general, wrestling moves and who gets to use them and why they're used on specific people and by specific people is a really varying non-standard thing. Some people think that you need like permission to use the wrestling move that somebody invented. Some people think you don't. There's a very long history of stealing them, both uh, within and without of kayfabe. Oh, uh, so this is like comedians. Yeah, it's like you can always trace a move back. To, I mean, not always, but you can often trace a move back to who actually invented it. But then who popularized it? You know what I mean? Who is it associated with? They're not always the same thing. In fact, they're rarely the same thing. It's a lot of politics and a lot of like legacy issues within the fiction in kayfabe. And what you see during this match is Kruger using the move against Kid specifically because it is associated with the Hart family, which Kid is a part of. Okay. So like he's using it to mock Tyson Kid. Oh. And like you will often see wrestlers use their opponent's finishers against them in a sort of mocking way. Like how humiliating would it be to tap out to or to be pinned after your own move, right? Mm. That's like within the fiction. Outside the fiction, there's a whole fucking process. It would be like if, you know, somebody took out Batman with his own battering. It'd just be embarrassing. Right. But then like at the same time, another comic book company had a superhero that was using 
uh, uh, ferret rang, you know, that was like functionally the same thing. You know what I mean? But like some people who are loyal to that comic book call it the ferret rang, but then they get into arguments with people who still call it the batarang. Oh know? my god. There's layers, damn it. A ferret man is so fucking compelling as a comic book concept. Ugh. Fan artists, do your thing. <laughs> he saw a ferret as a kid and he was terrified of it, so he became ferret man. <laughs> I mean, can you blame him? Yeah, I mean, they move. it's like a sock that's come to life. So, kid is looking like he's ready to do anything. He's like, yes, yes, I'll braid full of flower crown into your hair, whatever you want. But Sami Zayn saves him from this Disney princess sidekick fate. By coming out and distracting Kruger. And Kruger goes to the ropes like, I hate you earlier in the show. How dare you come out here and look so charming, which Sami Zayn always does. Very much so. And Kid sneaks up behind him with goat-like agility, which is probably not a phrase people (laughs) say very often. I mean, they should. I know, goats are quite agile. Yeah. And he grabs him from behind, rolling him backwards and then squatting on top. So they're in a weird butt-to-butt sandwich, which is (laughs) probably the name of something terrible on Urban Dictionary, but I'm not going to look it up. I think that's an O'Connor roll, but I'm not positive. Mm, pretty sure it's a butt-to-butt sandwich. <laughs> I mean, I know you're the wrestling expert here, but Miles, it's a butt-to-butt sandwich. It is now officially a butt-to-butt sandwich. So Sami Zayn just shrugs and looks mockingly apologetic. God damn it, Sammy! You should have said ta-ta. You had the perfect opportunity to say ta-ta oh. to fucking Leo Kruger and get him back at for, you know, saying ta-ta to you in that See, now jerk that, way. Now Sammy's not petty like that. Sammy no, is not, not petty like that. He's a he's wholesome a boy. He's a little catty, as we talked about with Robin. But you're right, he's not petty, I guess. I mean, it wouldn't have been, like, super out of character. No. I just want to point out that I really enjoyed that match in terms of the fact that they remembered their own history and, like, used Tyson Kidd's return to settle the previous beef with Kruger that he had several months ago and then, like, tied that in with the Sami Zayn story Mm. and also, like, used the knee injury thing. Like, the story of the match was playing on the knee injury thing, which was from 10 months ago. So, like, very economic use of storytelling in this match. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So backstage, Hunico and Camacho are going to face the Ascension later on. Not this episode, but later. And I believe Hunico says, El oro es nosotros, which sort of, I'm translating it, it's kind of like, we are the gold. The gold is ours, maybe? Um, Because then it would be nuestros. Oh, yeah. Which is, I know, the gold is ours totally makes sense to me, but maybe I just wasn't hearing it correctly. I mean, my Spanish is not great. I will No, neither is mine, even though that. I took four years of it. Yeah, I know. I took a lot of it, too. When you don't practice a language, it goes away. It's very frustrating. Yep. But also, the interview is taking place in a very industrial part of the building, so it does look like they're just hanging out at the Sears loading dock. Also, Camacho resolutely attempting to speak Spanish himself, despite not being in any way from that area. Yeah, that was quite interesting to hear. I mean, it wasn't bad. He told he, he was fine. Yeah, he, better than me. So like, all right, <laughs> good for you. So match four, it's the main event. Good Hobbit lad, Adrian Neville versus alien oddity, Bo Dallas. And they're both so dripping and shiny. Miles, I have never asked this. I should have asked this ages and ages ago before we got to episode 29. Uh-huh. Why are male wrestlers such shiny wet boys, but the women wrestlers <laughs> never are? My theory was, and this is very much based on, like, animals, that they slick up with something, I don't know, baby oil or whatever, because it lowers the friction. So that way it doesn't hurt as much whenever they do certain things or that way whenever somebody grips them, like, they're not as likely to get a tight hold on their hair and, like, accidentally pull it or rip it or anything like that. So that was my theory in the same way that, like, some animals produce a slime or mucilage. In terms of like why you see so many male wrestlers with their like hair oiled and slicked down, like their hair like all wet. Yeah. I think it's just a thing where it's like some wrestlers popularize the look once and people do it a lot and they weren't women. You know what I mean? And yeah. like I think women wrestlers... um there's a higher you expectation have, of looking fuckable at all times. Well, yeah, there's a different expectation. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, don't, I think women wrestlers are expected to be more made up and more their hair is expected to be blow dried and not yeah. oiled down. Do you, know you know what I mean? Or not even like, in I, a sensible ponytail or braid. French braid every goddamn time. French braid. It's just practical. Yeah, I think it's an aesthetic thing. That's based on uh, gender stuff. But like also there's plenty of male wrestlers who don't do that. I want to see a man with like blow dried Fabio hair. That's what I want to see. Watch wrestling in the 80s, dude. 
Oh, you really? will see so fucking much of that. Ooh. Watch some like 80s WWF. You will get some some Fabio mullets. So the match starts out in Neville's favor as he does a baker's dozen of flips and handsprings. That's about how many he did. If I were Adrian Neville, I would never walk anywhere. I would only flip places. <laughs> Bo Dallas decides that it's his cue to head to the outside and do a soliloquy pep talk, which we actually get to see him do a little bit of. And it's very yeah. weird. And then he gets yeah. back into the ring only to be shunted to the corner by halfling monk Adrian Neville, who is done with this boss encounter. And in the process, a turnbuckle pad comes off. Turnbuckle. Mm, turnbuckle. Chekhov's turnbuckle is now in play. Guys, it never pays off. I don't know what the fuck no. happened. Completely misleading. Seemed like an accident, but also how the fuck does that thing come off so easily? I don't know. I think it was a red herring. I think they were like, let's oh. have the turnbuckle pad fall off and everybody will think that's going to play into the finish. Oh, I because didn't know I was going to Because that's how all his previous title matches have gone. I feel like I've been had. So Bo starts getting his viciousness back, getting Neville in a chin lock and then up and lightly held in Bo's arms as he falls into sitting position on the mat, bringing Neville's head and chin down onto Bo's shoulder, I think. And that's a bulldog. I'm pretty sure what he did was he had Neville's head under his arm. Oh, okay. A bulldog is when you kind of jump or like run and sit down with their head under your arm so their oh. face theoretically hits the mat. It's a, it's a variation on a face buster. I never pay attention to where anybody's head is relatively. I'm mostly focused on where the butts are. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was doing a bulldog. Okay. And I just want to say that bulldog is a cute name for anything. And then just because we're talking about dogs and wrestling, Miles, apropos of nothing, apropos of fucking nothing, can I just say that I really want a pro wrestling Airbud film? Because we've had basketball, football, soccer, a.k.a. actual football, baseball, and fucking volleyball. They've had a volleyball Airbud movie. Give me Airbud World Heavyweight Good Boy. <laughs> so Neville refuses to stay pinned. So Bo Dallas saucily rolls down one of his shin covers like it's a Victorian peep show. Tuppence a peak, gov. <laughs> I don't know how much a fucking tuppence is. That could be an outrageous sum of money for all I know. <laughs> it would be like $50 for a peek at this shin. So then he goes to the top and jumps at Neville with his audaciously exposed shin only to hit the mat when Neville gets out of the way. But Neville comes back to life and kicks seven different kinds of stuffing out of Dallas, wiping out Dallas with a flip when Dallas goes to the outside for some relief. And then he throws Dallas in to do the red arrow, but Dallas crawls out again. It's like, yes, we've had high flying, but what about second high flying? <laughs> so Neville throws himself from the corner at Bo on the outside again, and they're both flopping around on the outside, and the ref is doing the count out. Neville and Dallas both crawl to the apron. Neville slides in at nine, but Dallas weakly falls off the apron to the floor and is counted out, and Neville is pissed and throws off the referee rather than having the triumphant arm held up. So boo to yep. all of this, but I guess at least yay that Neville got the win. I don't know. It's so good because did Dallas right. did Dallas do it intentionally or not? I'm inclined it's to like, say yes, but I mean, sure, but like you could easily see it go either way because that was a really beautiful crossbody that Neville hit off the top, it's and true. it looked like it really fucking hurt. I don't know. He seems so, you know, like wholesome and innocent in his own weird alien fashion. Yeah. And you're like, are you meaning? Are you doing this weird cheating turnbuckle pad removing, like not quite making it back into the ring for the count out? Like, is this intentional or are you just are you just a good wrestler who this kind of just keeps happening to. Yeah, it's very interesting. If we knew for a fact that he was cheating, it'd be like, okay, Bo Dallas can't win. He just needs to cheat to be able to do anything. Mm. But it's always so close and like so on the edge of the knife, so to speak, that like he still has credibility as a wrestler and, and as a champion because he's not blatantly cheating. He's still <laughs> trying. But like there are these moments when you're like, wait, did you? You did, yeah. didn't you? I do like that. You know. I enjoy that about him a lot. And I think it's a good and interesting character choice. Agreed. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you agreeing with me. <laughs> it's the best kind of agreeing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. How did you find this episode? You know, I didn't enjoy this episode very much whenever I watched it. And then I watched it a second time and I enjoyed it more. But I think hearing you sort of break down some of the things I was seeing, 
I enjoy it a lot more now that I have greater context and also frame of reference for why some of the things I was seeing are good. I can Mm -hmm. enjoy a thing on its own, devoid of context to some extent. I like some Cirque du Soleil and Cirque du Soleil is about as devoid of context as it's possible to be. (laughs) But I get a lot more out of things when the more context I have, which is probably why I'm an academic which that's a bad life path. Don't go down it. It's too late for me. (laughs) I know. You know that. PSA to everybody else. Don't do it. I appreciate having more context. It really makes it a richer picture for me and helps me to understand not only what I'm seeing and why I'm seeing it, but why it has value. Well, we're going to delve deeper into some of the things uh, that we saw and heard and felt in this episode. It is time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw initially Scott Dawson's pen under the ball cap, but we already talked about that a little (laughs) bit. And there's not a lot to say other than what is that about? So I will say another thing that really caught me, and that is how goddamn hot Cesaro is. (laughs) And I want to draw attention to it, not because I think Cesaro is the hottest person in the world. It's not that. It's that Cesaro is so good looking that your brain sort of stops processing it. You just go, oh, he's just a man. And then like you suddenly get awakened to it all over again. It's like if you haven't had a drink of water in a while and then you drink water and you go, holy fuck, water's the best thing ever. Right. And then you're alive to what water tastes like. And Cesaro is that. Cesaro is just so goddamn perfect that you're like, oh, he's just perfect. And then you go, holy fuck, he's so perfect. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Uh, Well, actually, appropriately, we're going to keep talking about Cesaro, Bob, now that you mention it, uh, because my elf eyes saw that segment with Byron Saxton. Specifically, there are few things in wrestling that I enjoy more than the characters on the show knowing how wrestling works Mm -hmm. and knowing that we know how wrestling works and playing on those expectations. So Cesaro is out here, like, pretending to be nice to Byron Saxton, pretending to apologize. He apologizes in five languages. You know, it's fantastic. But the crowd knows, like, it's very obvious this whole time this is not going to end well for Byron. He's like, Byron, do we the people with me? And it's like, no matter what Saxton does, like, this is not going to end well because this is part of a plan. And Cesaro takes offense at whatever it was that Byron did, starts to shake him, starts to beat him up, and then looks over at the entranceway. (gasps) Yeah! And the camera looks over at the entranceway, and there's nobody there, and looks back at Cesaro. And he keeps shaking Byron, and he, like, does it again. Because this is what happens. This is how wrestling works. He is the villain. He assaults the announcer. The hero comes out to save him and then they get to fight. That's what he wants. He wants to fight William Regal. He understands how this formula works. So he shakes down the announcer and he's looking at the fucking entranceway going, where the hell is he? He's supposed to have come out to save the day by now. And then he gets really mad because he doesn't know where Regal is and starts beating the crap out of Saxon even more. It would be like if Snidely Whiplash tied that Nell, I want to say her name is, to the tracks. Her name was Nell, yes. Yay! And was desperately waiting for Dudley Do-Right. And then whenever Dudley Do-Right didn't show up, was like obsessed with Dudley Do-Right and like going, where's Dudley? And you're like, what's wrong with you? I thought being evil was its own reward, but clearly like you don't give a fuck about Nell at all. You just want that D. Do you know what it actually reminds me of? Oh, what? Have you watched very much of the Venture Brothers? I have watched none of the Venture Brothers. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, the Venture Brothers is a great show. I suspect Uh, it would be too mean for me and I would be sad. That is entirely. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Even though it's it's animated, there's like lots of blood and stuff. And now that I stop and think about it. I know. Uh, I'm I'm a little too delicate for some of those. Like sometimes Archer, I'm like, no, you're mean. You did do a great job of working the monarch into one of your fanfics (laughs) once on the show, however. And this behavior just really reminds me of the monarch from the Venture Brothers, because the whole thing in that show is that like, a super scientist and his arch enemy have like this 
It's a game. They're all doing a game. You attack me. I get revenge. I get to do the big speech. You get to get the ray gun. You know what I mean? Like, there are rules to it. It's a relationship. And so (laughs) that's kind of like it would be like in the Venture Brothers of the Monarch did a big scheme to like piss off Dr. Venture and draw out Dr. Venture and Dr. Venture just didn't show up, which he frequently doesn't because Venture is like often doesn't give a fuck about the stupid game that the monarch is trying to play. So rude. He's like, ah, where is Venture? (laughs) All right, Bob, for this episode, what did your Vulcan ears hear? Oh God, Alex Riley. I mean, there's a lot (laughs) to choose from with Alex Riley. Uh, None of it good. So much. But he was being a pedantic shitbag about Adrian Neville's moniker, the man that gravity forgot. And he's like, oh, I don't understand God. why they call him that. And he says, the man that gravity forgot for a second and then remembered. Cause obviously, yes, whenever Adrian Neville jumps up, he does also come down because gravity is a, you know, universal force acting <laughs> upon all of us. And then Tom Phillips, I think it's Tom Phillips just says, yes. give it a rest. And Renee yeah. says, yeah, real good. And like, they both just refuse to reward Alex Riley for being shitty and actively pile on him in this, like, really, you fucking wasted airtime with that. God, you're the worst. And I was like, yes, light him up. It was great. So what did your Vulcaneers hear, Miles? I heard Aiden English. He has added some more uh, lines to his <gasps> squash yes. match repertoire. Uh, I believe he he said to be or not to be at some point. I loved while it. he was doing his very like stylish transitions with his hands outstretched as though he was ballroom dancing. But in particular, I heard his song when he was coming out to the ring, which for the first time ever for an Aiden English song was in minor key. And it was so good. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? I felt a lot of things, but I think the thing that I felt most keenly, and that's not to take anything away from the other things I felt, but most keenly was Natalia holding Paige's arm up after Paige defeats her. And she screams, Mm. yeah, baby. And it's just so clear how much she loves and supports Paige. And it gave me such joy. I'm just going to tell you right now that my human heart was also that match. Oh, okay. As I've talked about before, I was not like regularly watching at the time. A lot of these matches and segments I'm seeing for the first time. And uh, God, this match was really good. I was just really impressed by it in general. It was 12 minutes of Paige and Natalia just like exchanging holds and being because like Paige is also from a wrestling family and they played that up on commentary. And it was like they were really doing that storyline of like we both have wrestling in our blood and we're going to do these kip ups and and arm drags and fucking submission holds and jackknife pins. And we're just going to go back and forth. The middle part dragged because they were doing a few yeah. really long kind of resty holds uh, a couple of times. It was very kind of old school technical wrestling in some places. Okay. Um, you know, because like in the old days of wrestling, back when it first started, like you would just have people in those holds for like hours. You know, Jesus. What I, mean? I just really enjoyed what they were doing in the ring for the most part. The commentary really like dragged it down mm. in this case. And like it's it's a real shame and also there was a thing where they missed the handshake during a commercial break. Yeah. Or like, not the handshake, but like the handshake spot. I was so mad. I, they were like, well, you know, Paige is attacking Natalia with some real aggression. And that's because what happened during the commercial break. And they didn't even show a replay or anything. Yeah. It was just like. I thought they really biffed it in a big way. Yeah. And like considering the match ends with a hug and like it makes me feel the handshake was kind of a big part of the story. I feel like this match could have been like a real forgotten fucking classic. And it's. Not quite that for various reasons. Yeah, that don't have a lot to do with the match and a lot to do with the delivery. That's right. Well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. And now it is time for wrestling term of the week. But first, we need to hear Bob's fanfic explaining the wrestling term of the week from two episodes ago, which was sportsmanship. Ryan Stiles, and you join me live with Colin Mockery for this tag team match between the Rogers family of Steve Rogers and Mr. Rogers versus Skeletor and Beastman. Well, Call, we've got a real match on our hands. It's true, Rye, we didn't expect such a competitive showing, but after the hot tag to Skeletor, the Snake Mountain boys have really been in control of the match. Hold on there, Call. I think Mr. Rogers might be setting up his finishing move. He is! He's setting up the carrying hug! 
Skeletor's tapping out. It's over. We usually see this sort of sportsmanship at the end of a match, but Mr. Rogers has a very unconventional fighting style. And oh my goodness, they're not done yet. Steve Rogers <laughs> is. He's hugging Beastman. The match may be over, but they're going cuddle or nothing here in the ring. <laughs> we thought this match would be no country for hold men, but I'm always happy to be wrong about that call. It's true, Rye. <laughs> this match went from a tug of war to a hug of war. That's a terrible call. I know, Rye. But wait until you hear these. Our wrestling promotion has a special CD set coming out celebrating the magic of hugs in professional wrestling. That's right, call. It's got double cuddled by the cars. Oh, that's a great one, Rye. And who could leave out <laughs> the perfect hug by Nine Inch Nails? We were lucky enough to get the boss to contribute. The second CD has the song Lovers in the Hold by Bruce Springsteen. That's not all, Rye. Joan Baez saying, babe, I'm going to cleave to you. <laughs> And if you're not interested in older songs, call, we've got Embrace State of Mind by Alicia Squeeze. Ooh, that's a great one, Rye. And of course, who could leave out Marilyn Manson's hit song, I Don't Like Hugs, But the Hugs Like Me? <laughs> Such a classic call. Now bring it in for a hug. Aw, Rye. And that's all from your announced team of Colin Mockery and Ryan Stiles, hugging it out ringside after that stunning main event. Join us next week when the Rogers family faces off against Dr. Doom and Namor the Submariner. Doom! <laughs> Doom! Uh, Luke Blunier, you gem. This fanfic exists because of your genius and because you donated on Patreon, so thank you. I loved Whose Line Is It Anyway with a Burning Passion. I hope that this met with your approval. I don't know what I expected, but this should have been it. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for that fanfic, Bob. That was delightful. I'm so glad that when I uh, served up the uh, the volleyball of sportsmanship, <laughs> you were able to just knock it right out of the court, which I guess isn't the goal in volleyball, but still. I spiked it like Air Bud. That's right. That's what, that's what you do in that sport. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now it is time for Wrestling Move of the Week. Ooh. And the Wrestling Move of the Week, Bob, is The Sharpshooter. Since we're talking about the Hart family this week, it's only appropriate that we also talk about what WWE refers to as the Hart family sharpshooter. This is a submission hold that starts when your opponent is lying face up on the mat and you are standing at their feet. You pick up their legs by the ankles or calves standing between their legs while you have one ankle or calf in each hand. You then take your left leg, usually, and step forward across their left leg, turning them over into a face down position. You then cross their legs at shin level over your left knee and squat over their lower back, theoretically applying pressure to their back and legs. It happens twice in the episode we're covering, once from Natalia, who doesn't really sit down on it. I don't know if you noticed at all. Yeah. Uh, and once from Kruger, who I would say does a little bit of a better job. Natalia uses it because she's a heart, uh, and Kruger uses it because he's fighting a heart, as we discussed earlier. And the reason for that is that the hearts have kind of appropriated this move. Oh. It was invented by a Japanese wrestler named Riki Choshu. I think I'm pronouncing that right. But it was popularized in the United States by Sting, who we've discussed on Guess the Gimmick. I keep thinking you mean Sting the singer. Uh, no, no. Sting the professional wrestler, okay. I'm afraid. Sting called it the Scorpion Deathlock, which was derived from the original Japanese name, which I am not going to attempt to pronounce. Mm. When Bret Hart started using it in WWF, he called it the Sharpshooter to fit in with his Hitman character, sort of that flavor as we discussed. And as it happened in the 1990s, Hart and Sting found themselves on opposite sides of the Monday Night Wars. Bret Hart was with WWF. Sting was with WCW. They were both beloved babyface champions using the same submission hold and calling it by different names. Bret Hart would eventually defect to WCW during the Monday Night Wars, his final WWF appearance being the infamous Montreal Screwjob, in which the referee falsely rang the bell to end the match claiming that Hart had tapped out to his own move, the sharpshooter, which was being applied to him. This was all part of a Vince McMahon conspiracy to get the championship off Brett before he left for WCW. Mm. As the winner tends to rewrite history, the most well-known name for the move today is the sharpshooter. Ah. Following Brett's departure, it was used by The Rock uh, and also occasionally by noted we don't talk about this person, uh, Chris Benoit. Mm. 
And later, it was used by members of the Hart family after Brett's return to the fold. Natalia uses it as her finisher to this day. Even the simple act of being Canadian is sometimes enough to justify use of the, sharp, of the sharpshooter. <laughs> I love as you it. Can see, as you can see in all elite wrestling, where it's being utilized by Canadian wrestler Sean Spears. And that's because the Montreal Screwjob happened in Canada, and the whole reason that Brett was supposed to win that match was because he didn't want to lose the title in Canada. So there's a big association between the hearts and the sharpshooter now specifically and Canada. I love that Canada basically has a de facto national wrestling move. Kinda. And like Canada has its own weird, like unique presence in the wrestling scene in a sort of understated way, but in a similar way to like the way Mexican wrestling has or European wrestling has mm. or Japanese wrestling has. You know, there are all these guys who are trained in the dungeon. So Canadian wrestlers are these technical wrestling geniuses. You know, Chris Jericho is one of them. Okay. That's fascinating. So that was your wrestling move of the week. Please come back on the next episode for Bob's fanfic explaining it. And uh, she's already done something recently regarding a screw job. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Well, it's very much time for us to get out of here, but we cannot go before finishing up with the cheap pop quiz. Question number one. Next episode kicks off with a tag team championship match between Hunico and Camacho and the Ascension. What is the result? Is it A, the Ascension win, duh. B, Hunico and Camacho pull off the upset victory and are your new tag team champions. C, the match never actually happens because the Ascension beat up Hunico and Camacho on their way to the ring. D, Hunico and Camacho win by disqualification after Connor O'Brien refuses to release his submission finisher, despite the fact that Hunico has made it to the ropes. Or E, the match is ruled a no contest after interference from Enzo and Cass. I'm torn between the Ascension wins, duh, and no contest because Enzo and Cass. And I haven't seen Enzo and Cass in a while. Is this the start of a new taping? This is the um, penultimate episode of this taping. Next episode is the final episode of the taping. Mm, okay. I'm going to say E. I don't know that it is E, but I think it is the best way to prolong the feud. Okay. Question number two. The title match isn't the only tag team contest on the next episode because it's time for Sasha and Summer Rae to take on Bailey and her mystery partner. Who is it? Is it A, Paige, B, Emma, C, Natalia, D, a wrestler from the main roster named Caitlin, or E, Charlotte? I'm going to say Paige. Going to say Paige. All right. And question number three. Next episode, we get another crucial piece of backstory for our favorite flossing mechanic, Yay. Scott Dawson. In addition to being a wrestler, Dawson is also what? According to William Regal. A, a champion bowler. <laughs> B, a master cobbler. What the fuck? C, an award-winning gardener. D, a lovely calligrapher. Or E, a demolitions expert. That depends on which regal it is. Are we getting whimsical, <laughs> goofy regal? Or like, <laughs> oh, I'm trying to put over this person regal. I can't give you that information. No, you can't. Um, <laughs> because he also said that Aiden English made jeweled saddles for seahorses. <laughs> That's right. So, and because I do garden plots with Skeletor, uh -huh. I got to stand gardens. I just have okay. to. So I'm going to say, and you probably put that in there just to get me, but <sighs> you got me, Miles. You got me. All right. An award-winning gardener it is. All right, Bob. Well, I think that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me. Thank you. Before we get out of here, we have uh, yet another update to the roster here of the Next Wrestling Fan Wrestling Promotion, Bob. All right. I'm going to get out my big foam pointer finger so I can start chanting already. Yeah, we got a big debut here in the in the wrestling promotion. We have a new patron, the independent worker previously known as Brian Clark. Oh, has yeah. joined the Next Wrestling Fan Wrestling Promotion. Welcome, Brian. Thank you so much. And uh, Brian, unlike a lot of our $2 patrons, actually sent over the details of his character instead of waiting for me to uh, come up with them, which I appreciate because yeah. it means less work for me. Um, <laughs> and also it guarantees that you will like like your character. Brian sent me way more information than I can possibly squeeze into uh, this introduction, but I will give you the basics. The character's name is Professor X. Not that one. Okay. 
I'll read this first part of what Brian sent over. Nature intended some people to be university professors, but who gets to do that in this economy? <laughs> Barely me. Barely me. This underpaid sessional instructor at local community college yep. is the world's leading unpublished expert on Douglas Coupland's Generation X. Oh my god. But these days works a third job as a wrestling manager to try and make ends meet. And wears a mask to keep his first job. Oh, I feel this so deeply. So Professor X is a manager slash cornerman who's basically like a a kind of manager or cornerman freelancer. So like, if you need one in a pinch, you call Professor X. Uh, I like he's like a bail bondsman, but for being a (laughs) cornerman, I identify so deeply. It's a very comedic character. Numerous hijinks can be found in the the trials and tribulations of Professor X's life (laughs) as he speeds from one job to another, barely doing any of them competently. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And just constantly like going, going, going and exhausted. His catchphrase, according to Brian, which was my favorite part of what he sent over is I'm the best there is at what I do, but I'm so very, very tired. (laughs) I love it. Professor X is here in the next wrestling fan wrestling promotion. If you require his services, uh, you can find him. I mean, who knows at any given moment, but look yeah. around. I'm sure he's here somewhere. He does post Thank his you. class schedule. His office hours are available. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brian, for your uh, contribution to the show. We really appreciate you. We really appreciate all of our patrons. Um, if you would like to become one, you can go over to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan, which will get you a wrestling character here on our show. And we wanted to quickly just thank everybody who showed up for our most recent wrestling watch party, which was a lot of fun, I thought. Yeah, I really enjoyed our card. This might be one of my favorite cards. It just had some real interesting, fun stuff in it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks so much to everybody who showed up. And uh, there will be another one in October. So keep an ear out for that. And things that I'm very grateful for. Romance books. Uh I've chosen the romance books. That Miles is going to read because they're both short. They're both, I believe, Books. 100. Yeah, they're 188 pages long, which is the same. It's two combined would be one Tessa Dare. Now, will you miss Tessa Dare as you read this? Yes, you will. <laughs> but you will get other things from this that Tessa Dare could not possibly give to you because Tessa Dare would never dream to give you these things. <laughs> Okay, what are they? These books are by Ruby Dixon, and the books are called Ice Planet Barbarians, and then, (laughs) yep, yep, and then Barbarian Alien is the second one. (laughs) Okay. Yes, they're they're very affordable (laughs) on your local Amazons. Um, If you have Kindle Unlimited, it is zero dollars, zero of your finest dollars. I'm trying not to support the bizocracy right now. No, but, no, you uh, shouldn't. I mean, but I'll find them. a way. But yeah, I don't want to say too much. I'll just say these are the Blue Alien books, and they're very, very popular. And I think they're popular for a good reason, but I'm not always sure what that is, despite loving them. And the other thing to know is that Ruby Dixon, we think is famous, but writes as a different person and that Ruby Dixon is just like their funsies thing that they do. But we don't know for sure. So I don't know. I like to imagine that Ruby Dixon is actually like Stephen King or something, but I don't know. (laughs) You tell me after this who you think Ruby Dixon secretly is. I'll see if I can detect any uh, telltale literary tricks. Joan Didion or, uh, or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's Stephen King if, like, the whole story gets totally self-referential at the end. I know, and it just like, becomes about his childhood. <laughs> the planet was Maine all along? <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, Ice Planet Barbarians and Barbarian Alien, yes. is it? Yes, it okay. is. Okay, so those will be all I'm going to get right on that. We should be recording that as soon as I finish the book, so as soon as possible. No shortage of romance novel bonus content coming your way in the very near future, which is your reward. (laughs) Actually, it's Bob's reward. You guys don't have anything to do with it. You just have to listen to it. You're welcome. (laughs) And on that note, thanks so much for listening, everybody, and we will see you in two weeks with another episode of The next wrestling fan. Bye!
Bye. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Can you just see that one uh, picture of Putin, but with Cesaro? Oh, do you know how the, dare you? Do you know he's, the one I'm talking about? I do, about? but like, he's so much better than that. He's like, oh, I he's know, a million but... times better than that. He's like a, he's like a balding Fabio. How dare you? That's what I'm saying. The picture would be so improved. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it'd be hard to make it worse. But yes. <laughs> I mean, I could think of a few ways. Oh, no. Nope. We're not going down that road. <laughs> we're nuking that from orbit is what we are doing. <laughs>